Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. So being able to have this platform, especially in sport, when we typically hear it's about a perpetrator and what they've done, it's now going to hopefully shed some light on DV victims, support networks, you know, the AFP, DVCES in Canberra, ways to to recognise DV. How can we help contributing towards charities? Um, how can we change that narrative? episode, Alex Bunton joins us for probably one of our most raw and thought-provoking podcasts, as she allows us into her lived experience as a domestic violence, or DV, victim survivor. In their final home game, the UC Caps will sponsor the DV Awareness Round. Bunt generously shares her experience with the hope that as we talk more openly about this devastating issue, more common than people may realise, we can remove the stigma and understand what DV looks like for victims so that people can be more alert and know how to help and respond. We're so grateful to Bunce for her bravery in sharing this, as she reminds us that DV does not discriminate. It's complex and it happens under a veil of secrecy. So she helps us by lifting the lid on DV. If you or someone you know needs advice or help, Contact 1-800-737-732 or 1-800-RESPECT. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me, as always, my co-host Jacinta Govind, and we're being joined by Alex Bunton today. Bunts, good to see you again. How are you doing? Thanks, guys. I've been waiting to be back on here, so I'm glad that this is my moment again. <laughs> That's always a lovely thing to hear when we start a new episode, that someone was eager to come back. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, like, the amount of stories that you guys cover and the people that you get to talk to, it's actually... Like, it's a privilege to be able to have someone so invested and interested in our lives and the things that we do, and it's not just sport. So, yeah, I love it. Oh, great. Thanks, Buns. Thanks, Buns. That's really great. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so this week is the last game for the season for the Caps, and it's also the DV round. And, you know, you guys have had a pretty tough season pretty much all the way through a lot of injuries a lot of it's not unfair to say that you guys your team has been decimated across the season but you guys have not quit 
you've just stuck it out and put in some amazing performances. How do you feel as a member of that team, like looking at the performances across the season, given everything that's gone wrong? Yeah, and being part of the leadership group too, you kind of feel like you have that, you know, mum feeling. Like I know Be Smart like calls herself mum, but I also have that too because I care so much about the team and as people, but as basketball players as well, like we've handled everything that has been thrown at us, like injury-wise, um, you know, some really close games, some tough losses, like close losses, big losses, uh, but then amazing wins. And, yeah, whatever's been thrown at us, we've just handled it with such grace but also courage and strength. And that's mentally and physically because some people have had to really put their bodies on the line. But I think we've all been in it together mentally and emotionally just to stick together and, you know, handling adversity sometimes you know it's always attached to like a negative thing you know something bad's happened and like you know we've handled it and we've come out the other end but this is like we've just handled whatever challenge with like we haven't taken anything negatively you know like we kind of laugh some things off we let it slide but we still have the same mission and we still have the same goal is to always get better regardless of a result and to always put in the hard work and always show up and yeah, to, to have that carried through by every single person on the team and coaching and, you know, even the Caps, like, family. It's just, it's pretty darn cool. <laughs> it, it has been. And I've, I've got to say, one thing that's really impressed me is the way some of the younger players have just stepped up and really put in, I think some of them have put in performances of careers. Yeah, and that's it. And you don't... You know, at the start of the season, people were, like, commenting about age. You know, we're young. We, this is the young team and Caps are fresh and we're young and we've got a rookie coach kind of thing. And it's um, as the season's gone on, the trajectory that we've gone in, like, you forget about that label and you forget about the youngsters because they're just ballers. Like, they ball out and they just give it their all and it's really cool to see and grow with them as well. Like, being older for me and I know Be Smart, you know, where – not so much having to keep up with them, but we're just having to like, we get to follow them. We get to be with them and we get to kind of have our import, but we also get to feel young too. Not that I'm old. Okay. But it, you know, just being surrounded by younger girls, we just get to like live through them, I guess. And they do bring that joy and that spark that is needed in like harder times. So it's been, um, it's been really cool to watch some of them grow. I think, and not so much because uh, like you said, it's not that, the likes of yourself and Be Smart are old, but you've been playing a lot longer. So yeah. you, you at different levels, at different teams, like you have a lot more playing experience under your belt. And it does sound like when you have those uh, really green young rookies coming into the fold, it can give you a little bit more of a spark and maybe a bit of a reminder as to why you do what you do every day. Yeah, and just like the joy and the the energy that they bring too, you know, like Jade Melbourne's always smiling, um, you know, and so it's like it's infectious and, yeah, you don't want to, as you get older as a basketballer and just in life in general, you, you know, that you don't want to be left behind. You don't want to, like, be too old school. So, you know, you kind of got to mould into your environment and this is, like, the perfect example of still being able to bring our experiences. As you said, you know, like we've played more, we've played in different teams, we've played all over the world, but it's yeah, infectious, the energy that they give off. It's like my daughter Opal, you know, you have to keep up with her. <laughs> keep up or get out of the way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the DV round, 
you know, this is something that's that's quite close to your heart. Tell us a little bit about how the idea of doing a DV round came about. Well, I'm a um, DV victim survivor, and for the listeners who don't know what DV, it's domestic violence, and that's something that I had to go through once I retired back in 2019, and it was a very hard time in my life, and obviously coming back to basketball shone that light on an opportunity when the WNBL gave us the initiative, player initiative round, it was to relate to someone or something personal for one of the players. And, yeah, my story goes back for a couple of years where I was in that relationship and um, it was something that I had to overcome but also realised that I could shed a lot of light on and a lot of positivity moving forward. So, yeah, domestic violence is close to home for me in positive and negative ways but it's a privilege to be able to, to change that narrative for it. And it's pretty obvious, as you said, having a lived experience of being a survivor of domestic violence, how important it is for there to be a DV round and especially for the UC Caps to recognise that as an important initiative to have as their play initiative round. So what are some of the main goals for this round in, in your eyes? The massive thing that I keep saying is to create awareness through conversation because conversation can be back and forth between people it can some people can just listen into a conversation and take something away from it it can be continued and to raise the awareness that domestic violence doesn't discriminate against anyone and I take my personal experience and look at where I am and I'm you know profiled as a professional athlete and that doesn't discriminate and it you know I had to go through it and it's it's an awareness time to be able to include the community, include others around who may not be a victim or a victim survivor, but to be able to encourage them to to change this stigma and to change what they might think or might know what domestic violence is and to be able to dig a little deeper in the not so much the the harsh statistics and the harsh you know things that we see on TV or the news or you know from perpetrators, but to be able to know how to help and it it was really a, po- um, a positive message from when we had the team like my girls be able to be educated by um, a family violence officer, and it was really beautiful to see some people who had really no idea about domestic violence be able to ask questions and go, how can we help and uh, how can we recognise the signs of someone being in a DV relationship? What are the layers of domestic violence? And it's not just physical. It's There's so many different, you know, contributors to being um, abused or in a DV relationship. And to have that really pinpointed that it's not just, you know, respectfully for the victims and about the perpetrators, it's about people and how we can help and how we can change the narrative that, has been told about domestic violence. So being able to have this platform, especially in sport, when we typically hear it's about a perpetrator and what they've done, it's now going to hopefully shed some light on DV victims, support networks, you know, the AFP, DVCES in Canberra, ways to to recognise DV. How can we help contributing towards charities? Um, how can we change that narrative? And, yeah, so this this round is hopefully going to tell a different story for people. And you've spoken a lot in the past about, and even, you know, just now you touched on how you want to bring more attention to the stigma around domestic violence and being a victim of or survivor of domestic violence. And we'll get into that a bit more in a sec. But before we move on, I just want to touch on 
or ask you to touch on what are some of the other um, methods, I, I guess, of domestic violence other than, you know, physical assault that people yeah. need to be more aware of. Yeah, and as I said, there's multi-layers to it and a lot of the, you know, the, when you hear the word violence, majority of the time people think physical violence. But with DV, there's mental and emotional abuse, there's financial, and I think that's they're the ones that aren't really spoken about and they're the ones that you don't really hear about because it just doesn't have to be physical abuse for it to still be abuse and it doesn't have to be physical abuse to still be labelled as domestic violence. So to have a bit more of that understanding that it goes deeper and when you break it down, there comes those layers where it can affect everyone differently and that's part of that changing that stigma where we think it's just a physical thing or we think it's, you know, it's in the courts or it's, um you know, someone's got into a fight or someone's just been yelling at each other or it's just a domestic, you know, and really like that demographic has been attached to it, you know, it's um it's not just the physical part that's part of domestic violence, the behavioural thing, the control and the coercive control and the things that are really unsaid that really need to be brought to the front to have people understand. Is that, you know, if we, um, you know, if you have a, a friend, it doesn't have to be a girlfriend, it can also be a male friend as well because obviously statistically women are more likely to be victims of domestic violence than men, but that's not saying it doesn't happen to men too, whether it's in heterosexual or same-sex relationships as well. But what are the, some of the telltale signs that we can do as friends or teammates or colleagues that we can perhaps look out for if we feel like someone's a victim of DV? I think some of the early signs are someone who is really retreating back on their life or retreating on themselves, you know, losing contact with people or not being as outgoing. Um, Their personality can change. And I want to make it a clear message that this cannot just be about DV as well. You know, you should always check in with people. You should always check up on people. But there are common signs across, you know, mental health and, and DV and all these other things that are quite similar. So, yeah, going back in on yourself or someone gets a little bit paranoid, um, always checking their phone. When we had Brandon from the Family Violence Unit, he explained if people start to cover up, you know, parts of their body that they usually don't cover up and it's really hot weather, like it may sound, you know, a bit over the top, but like there are there are very realistic signs that people actually have to go, they go through, which is really sad. And I think some of the biggest things is really when someone starts to detach from their world, you know, someone doesn't involve you. And I know personally, I shut off from, you know, some of my best friends and, and my family. I, I stopped telling them things and I stopped wanting to uh, involve them with my life because I was going through a lot with someone else, or I was being in a situation where I couldn't share things and I was fearful to share things. But obviously it's going to be different for every situation, but those are the common signs of someone who may be struggling just in general or in a relationship that has some sort of control or fear for them. Um, So going back, uh, as we touched on before, the stigma around being a victim of DV, and like you said, I don't think it's something that is really spoken enough of or that's probably has a lot of understanding around. So Um, Tell us more about the stigma and and what victims of DV are typically stigmatised for. It's 
it's not an easy question to answer because it's actually so broad with what I could talk about, but I'll go from like personal experiences. And, you know, when I was going through the early stages of my relationship, I didn't even know it was a DV relationship because my understanding of domestic violence was that physical side was that I'm only going to see it in the news and I'm only going to, you know, it's male, female, just like yelling at each other kind of thing. You know, it it was quite basic, my understanding of DV. But it was also so taboo because I didn't actually, there was nothing else out there to really describe unless I was, you know, in a different position now where I've Googled and I've looked at it and I've, I've experienced it and I've heard about it and I've been with police officers and crisis services who explain the depths of it um, or share statistics with me. But, yeah, the stigma that a lot of people have is really the unknown, the unknown and the, I think the word violence is a massive contributor to just assuming that it's a physical situation, I guess. And with me, when I came out of it and when I've like looked back or I've been able to talk about it, majority of the people who haven't been in a domestic violence relationship say exactly the same thing. It's unknown. It's taboo. It's uncomfortable. It's heavy. Um, I don't really want to talk about it. I, I don't know much. I don't know what I can and can't say. And although most of the time people are trying to be respectful, but a lot of the time it's like they just don't know. Like they, they just go on what they've seen on the news and that's it. And that stigma goes to like demographics as well. And I'm, I'm talking from the most respectful place that I can. But, you know, the people who aren't a professional basketballer, the people who aren't CEOs and, you know, in the spotlight or or wealthy or successful in their own life, you know, when we have the grade of, you know, what we've kind of labelled successful and not successful as a society, but the less fortunate people are the ones who are going through a domestic violence relationship and as I said, I mean that in the most respectful way, but that's what we have that image in our mind, you know, from, I'll use it from my personal words, like as a bogan, you know, with like that kind of bogan terminology, like, oh, it's just those bogan kind of, you know, situations or, you know, they're just yelling at each other. They're just having a fight or, you know, the people who live out back, you know, whatever, like neighborhood watch can call the police kind of thing. And that's a harsh reality of what people assume. Yeah. I think typically anything with the word attach violence immediately gets people uncomfortable and it's exactly what you said before people get uncomfortable and they don't know what to say and they're the fear of saying the wrong thing or the fear of like wanting to offer help or some kind of soft intervention to provide someone a lifeline in some way but then you know knowing is the person able to recognize that's happening to them what's happening to them is actually domestic violence is it something that's going to fracture your relationship and then potentially not have you know a friendship where you can address it again and because it can also be things like a partner stopping their partner from seeing their friends checking their phone um, monitoring the bank account all of those kinds of things that that is so restrictive and controlling on another person's life and um, not like you said not knowing what to say when to say it is such a gray area I think for a lot of people too Yeah. And you can understand. And I, you know, coming out of this and I never put an expectation on people to understand where I come from, what I've been through. Um, But there is now that like that hunger in me to want to help and share that with people to make them understand, to help them understand, because it's just a heavy topic, I think, for a lot of people. But that doesn't mean it can't 
have positives with it. They can't be changed, you know, like, and if we don't talk about it, then how is there going to be change? And you don't have to fully understand or, you know, feel the depth of a situation. But if you can be a voice, if you can be, you know, a helping hand in any way, you know, you're doing the right thing and you're helping victims and potentially perpetrators, you know, not commit DV and to really know that if it's in the spotlight and there's multiple people out there watching and helping and trying to do the right thing, then, you know, change is inevitable. And I feel like domestic violence, like I'd love to get your opinion on this too, Bunce, like domestic violence I feel like has been such a long-seated issue and almost like a culturally ingrained issue where for a very long time it was so accepted. Uh, You know, you even look at some pop culture references of movies and TV shows set in a period of time and you see these, you know, in like the 40s, 50s, uh, especially uh, post-World War, I suppose, as well, where um, you get this couple depicted where there's a DV in the relationship and that's just how it is and that's just accepted and people get yeah. a, get along with it and it just weirdly becomes normalised. And But then also what became normalised is that the victims of domestic violence were just silenced. Yeah. And I feel like that's just been such an ingrained thing in our culture and now it's great that we have advocates like yourself and initiatives like this round where we can finally say actually that's not all right like and that's not normal behavior yeah and I it's it's funny you say that because I was talking today about you know how I felt being you know what my mindset was and where I was when I was in that dv relationship and I did feel silenced because I didn't know what was right or wrong and I say I was a independent strong young woman and I still ended up in a position where I second guessed myself because I didn't like I wasn't a hundred percent sure you know what love should really be how should someone treat you if they're still saying sorry and um you know making up for their mistakes and because we're taught you know like you know you should make peace in a way you know make up for your mistakes and you know do the right thing and be better and always grow and it was almost like that weird like they call it the cycle of abuse but it's it's so real and it does look different for everyone but I was like um, continuously in a circle of this is wrong this is not okay and then I wouldn't trust myself and I wouldn't trust that instinct and I wouldn't trust you know what I would like believed in and then I would just trust in someone else that they'd be a good person or like doing me a, a good deed is the repayment for you know a negative experience from them so yeah, it's it's weirdly ingrained in us to kind of like follow a pattern of like you know that love hate relationship kind of feel you know like there, there's a pain and there can be some hate and there can be negativity but oh there's love and there's like you know that's what you should focus on and um yeah I was saying today that one of the biggest things is I wish I listened to that gut instinct I really wish I listened and believed that my word was valid and what I believed was right is right because that's what I need and it may look different for someone else but you need to listen to those this is what I think that love should be and I should be able to have a voice for it but we do get silenced and I think that pressure that's been like surrounded by us you subconsciously it affects you in those situations because we've been conditioned to feel or think a certain way. It just sounds like what you were describing, that whole push and pull and how we've, like you said, been conditioned to 
you know, make up for mistakes. But at the same time, when you're in that situation, it sounds like that uh, confliction between someone making up for mistakes, it sounds like ultimately just blinds your judgment a little bit. Yeah, it does. And I use this word, um, I keep saying respectfully, (laughs) but crazy. You know, I felt crazy because I thought I knew what was right and there was that part of me deep down that knew it was right and I knew that I had to stand up for myself or, you know, the situation and, you know, the typically like get out, you know, like you shouldn't be with someone who treats you like this. But, yeah, there's just something that the fear and the control and the the unknown hovers over you and you just get trapped and you get trapped within yourself. I feel like the, the those statements in particular, the get out and the feelings of being trapped is the perfect segue into what I was going to ask next is that typically when people know a very limited amount about domestic violence and uh, very quick to judge, one of the first things people will say is, why don't you just leave? Yeah. it's And it's never that simple. And that's, it's not. And I go back to the word crazy because moments I go I know I should just leave I know I should have gotten out like I know I can't be here right now I know that was wrong but I don't even have the words to describe why I didn't you know like I don't have the it's a it was the feeling it was the fear and that you know what ifs and also which I think is very important to acknowledge though like I was in a relationship and I was in love and it was real for me so it wasn't just like this DV situation where I was, you know, being abused 24-7. There were some beautiful parts to my relationship that I showed up for. You know, I was there, I was experiencing. And it goes back to that cycle of abuse where it starts off amazing and then it gets hard and then it gets, you know, pretty horrific for some people or, you know, intense. And then something drastic can happen or you can get hurt physically emotionally mentally whatever it is is that really low point in that circle and then it slowly builds all the way back up to that that happy place and that love and that care and it just continues it goes round and round and round and then you naturally want to get back to that happy place so you know like okay the fear and everything I just know at some point it's going to be okay in 30 seconds it can be okay in two days it can be okay and then that can last for months it can last for a day it can last for a couple of years like you everyone's different but yeah that typical get out why didn't you just leave kind of attitude I wish it was that simple for people and I wish I could explain (laughs) in a simple way why people don't do that and some people have some people can have that moment where they just go or like they say no enough is enough but not everyone is um you know in a position to do that um It seems to me, from what you just said, that people tend to look at domestic violence situations as black and white. They don't. They don't look at the nuance of all the grey areas that are there. And I think it could be because when people are presented with an uncomfortable situation, they want to find a yeah, it's a right or a wrong. They don't want to look at all the degrees in between. Yes. Yeah, and I think it's because it's so different for each situation. That's why we say it's not as simple either. And majority of the time with a perpetrator, you don't know that they're actually a violent person or an abusive person. 
so from the outside, just seeing some like a lot of people will be like, oh, like what is she talking about? Or what is he talking about? You know, like they look happy. They look, they're fine. Or then you'll hear something, you know, hard to, you know, talk about and people go like, oh, well then the logic would be just to leave, right? The logic would be just to like dump them or move on. Or the logic would be to go to the police or tell someone. And I think people are very quick to question or to kind of shy away from doing anything because, I go back to that unknown part, like, well, will I get hurt if I help them? Or, you know, how will that look on me if I if I got myself involved? Or do I want to get myself involved? And oh well, if they didn't reach out to me, then I shouldn't do something. But yeah, I think you put it perfectly. Like it's that black and white that people quick to judge, quick to go to. And that's where that simplicity from the outside point of view gets in. But yeah, it's really, think, it's really a good way to put it. I also think what happens is Maybe people look at it and go, oh, yeah, but, but people argue. Yeah. Right? And I get that. You know, people do argue. There's always differences of opinion. And some of the opinions, you know, are very closely held for some people. But it's not that. It's something very different. Yeah. And that's like that kind of thing when I say that, you know, that demographic, that people are just arguing, they're having a fight, like no worries kind of thing. That's just what they do. Like, so we're quick to stereotype and we're quick to kind of put judgment on people in, you know, a situation that you might not experience or you may, you know, argue with your partner or your friend or your family and go like, oh, they're just having a disagreement kind of thing, and which happens. But I think there's so many underlying things that people miss or don't know of, and I respect that from people. I, I know that no one knew that I was in, you know, pain or in a, in a situation where I couldn't get out of until cracks started to show or I reached out and you feel alone for a very long time and that's why I don't put expectations on people, as I said before, to understand what I went through because some people had no idea and that's like that other thing. Like it's black and white but how are people supposed to know sometimes? Yeah, especially if it's not, like you said, you can't, there's no obvious superficial signs on the outside, there's no dramatic change of behaviour. Like you said before, if you, you started to withdraw, you started to not, you were still in contact with people but not share as much as you were sharing before. So you, if you weren't sharing anything, then others wouldn't have anything to judge, to base off that something was really going on yeah. um, in a sense. Um, but the whole black and white thing, like there's so many variables for some people in that situation where they can't just up and leave. I mean, um, I've heard of some stories for people who have gotten to a point where, you know, their finances are controlled, um, progressively over time their main friendships and their relationships with their family and stuff have dissolved because that's been controlled part of their life so and and obviously you know if there's kids and stuff involved as well so for someone in that situation to just up and leave and get out you know leave as people are so quick to say like where where are they going what resources do they have yeah. Like they, that's such a just as much of a risk for them to leave that situation with potentially no finances, no social emotional support. Yeah. Like who do they turn to? What do they do? It's a very dramatic decision that you know people will think. Well, if I stay in risk, it I've still got some securities, but if I leave, I've got nothing. Exactly, and I think you know sharing some of my story is I was in a position where yeah, I had a family that love me and love me unconditionally and would do anything for me. But I was in the mental state of embarrassment and, you know, being pregnant towards the end of that, I, I didn't know how to go home. 
So that was running through my head going, will they accept me when, you know, with the baggage that I'm bringing home, you know, with the, well, am I going to be able to come home and say, I've got nothing left. I've got no money. I have, all it is, is me, my unborn child and my car. You know, I'm not a basketballer anymore. Like, what are they going to think of me? What are my friends going to think of me? How am I going to come from being a professional athlete to what my ex used to call me, like a washed up single mum? You know, that was embedded in my in my head and that mental and emotional state that I was in, I believed that, you know. So my the narrative that he he told me and dictated my life to be was what I was living in a way. So yeah, it's even when I went to the police and I was moving forward and I took that next step, I was still trying to figure out, okay, what do I have from here? You know, how do I how do I completely let go of that relationship too? How do I completely let go of that situation and, you know, trust that the next step is the right step kind of thing? So yeah, for people it's um it's not as easy as just like going, Yep, someone help me or I'm reaching out for help now. All right, that's the answer to all my problems. It's it's so much more than that and Unfortunately for people, it can not just be that financial, but it can be emotionally and mentally too, that people take a long time to heal and take a long time to even work through court processes. As you said, if there's kids or even just, you know, sentencings and all that kind of stuff, it's still, it's like a, once you reach for help, it's still an uphill slog to, to finally get to the end and there may never be an end. And so you had a, uh... Lot of people, well, you had some key people in your support services that helped you navigate the ordeal initially. Are you able to share what that looked like for you? Like, what was your what was your next step? And I love to be transparent with my story and to be as real as possible. So when I reached out for help, it was my family first, but it wasn't the the first step to let go of everything, as I was saying, and. I still struggled a lot with, you know, thinking that I was doing the wrong thing, even by reaching out. You know, my mom helped me call the police, which was my next point of call. And even then when I was, you know, reporting to the police, I felt like I was doing something wrong. You know, I was putting someone in jail, potentially. I was, you know, telling on someone that I was in a relationship with, like, do I love that person? No, I don't love that person. And, you know, you go back in this mental swirl and then I was like, okay, I need to talk to someone who's, non-biased, so not my family and not the police. So I reached out to DVCS, which is the Domestic Violence Crisis Service, and I remember calling up a couple of times and every time someone answered the phone, I'd hang up because <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm doing the wrong thing. And I was like, no, I can just call back. I don't have to say anything. But, yeah, just to have someone on the other end of the line to just talk to and I could share whatever I needed to share at that point in time or ask for help was amazing. And, you know, they have extended parts to their services that they can help you in nearly every area that you need. And I had no idea. They can help you with lawyers. They can help you with finance. They can help you with pointing you in the right direction to some pilot teams who are a teams that are behind you and making sure that your situation is heard in a courtroom and you're supported in everything that you have to go through. They provide people to be with you in courtrooms or if you have to speak to a police, if you have a creative statement, they can talk on behalf of you. So, yeah, there's a lot of the services out there that are, like, clinical are actually, like, lifesavers. You know, I'm a big fan of them, Um, especially for the people who might not have the family that I had or who might not have the confidence to to go to the police. But 
I think a lot of stuff that helped me move forward was being, you know, it's kind of hard and I know it's hard for a lot of victims to hear, but you've got to take the step too. Like you have to meet people halfway. You have to have the courage to to find your way out as well and it's not going to like be easy and it's not a, you know, smooth process, but if you can't reach out for help or you can't at least be willing to allow help, you know, there are a lot of times where people's hands are tied. You know, people can't help you if they don't know. People can't help you if you don't say something. So, yeah, it's um, it's definitely a process. <laughs> so let me ask in relation to the upcoming round, what have you and the club organised in terms of things happening to raise awareness, uh, raise funds, etc., yeah. on, on the evening or and the run-up to the game? So we've made a mini doco that's going to be coming out, which is amazing. Uh, it's going to be shown hopefully at halftime during the game, just a small ad part of it. And we've included kind of the the real message that I've wanted to get across, but also the people around me to show that it's a collective effort for this and the collective effort for this round and the collective effort for not making this tokenistic and really having a this is just the beginning kind of feel. And the caps have been great. They kind of gave me like the full reign of organising everything and just respectfully giving me, you know, just a space to be able to have ideas. And, you know, Simon with MVP Media, who's our media guy, he was just like 100% on board helping with anything that we needed. And he's filmed, you know, snippets for this week to be able to just like post on socials. We've made shirts that with our team on it, you know, saying we've got your back and we're not going to, I don't think we're making any profit off them. I think it's it's uh it's just like the players are going to be wearing them and we're encouraging everyone at the game to wear purple to show awareness. And the Caps have done a good job because it's not this round to profit for us. It's a round to raise money if people want to and they can donate to DVCS. And I've asked DVCS to come to the game, to any of the organisation who want to be at the game present. I'd love for them to be there. And they're going to set up a stall at the front with information and just be there for people and just to give out a conversation for people to give out advice, even just to, you know, be there for support. You know, you never know if someone's going to reach out. And so their presence at the game is going to be huge. And then people can choose to donate directly to them because I want it to be like that. I want people to have a free choice and you can show your support in any way you need. And sometimes it's not always about money. So, you know, just someone's presence or someone's, you know, wearing a purple shirt that's that's going to be amazing or some wearing something purple there's going to be the AFP the family violence unit are going to come to the game as well um in uniform and they're going to just show their support and I think it's really important to be in uniform and to show up like that to kind of desensitize the the authority feeling and show like they're here to help they're here to support because there are people who are part of the police who it's their job to people in DV and family violence. And, yeah, we're just kind of encouraging around the league for people to wear purple. And um, I really wanted it to be about the community as well. So that's that free of choice, you know, wear purple, wear, do this and show up and donate if you want. And that encourages people to realise, like, you have a say with what you want to do within yourself and start the conversation and we've also got scrunchies that I haven't shown the girls yet, which is a surprise. So if they're going to listen to this, surprise. <laughs> um, from Scrunchico, who have given like scrunchies to the Opals and stuff. And I know she works with some of the AFL women's teams. 
but we got I just reached out to her and just said if she wanted to help out and she sent me some scrunchies which the girls can wear but yeah just in to show awareness like purple's the color at the moment and um, I know that she was thinking of selling them on her website and whatever profit she makes she'll donate so yeah there's just a lot of little things and um, also I think they're gonna it's gonna be a big impact so yeah, and I know that some people are still going to wear the OG bunch shirts. I know that's happening. That's <laughs> um, included. Yeah, and also a little birdie told me we were trying to get Black Mountain Tower lit up purple, but that couldn't happen. So I think they're trying to do the light rail. Um, or Canberra in general are trying to like show support, which I think is amazing. Like that's just like I was speechless when I heard that. I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, this is great. I was like, this is like – Women's sport, like women in sport are like really making their mark on things. I'm so proud of us. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. If you can get a, a public transport or something really like physically out in civic or in the Canberra community yeah. past the National Convention Centre yeah. as representation, that's huge. Yeah, so the little things is just like what's creating that big effect. And, you know, even you guys showing support, like it's just this is what we need to – with any awareness or any subject that we bring up, you know, to show the care and the the genuine appreciation for like us players and you know subjects like this, like it's it's amazing. I'm so grateful. <laughs> Bunce, it's been great having you back on the show. It's been too long. It has. <laughs> um, but we are looking forward to this round. We're looking forward to seeing you guys play. We're looking forward to seeing Canberra lit up in purple. Mm-hmm. If there's any politicians listening, Parliament House in purple would be awesome. Did you ever think of that? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, camera. And um, anything that we can do to help you and support you in this, let us know. Yeah, well, just you guys doing this is massive, you know, just the conversation and that just helps continue the conversation because you never know who this is going to reach. You never know who's going to click on and say, do you know what, I want to listen to this today. and they may help the next person on. They may pass it on to someone who needs it. And as I said at the beginning, I think that's the beauty of conversation. Someone can listen, someone can contribute, someone can pass it on, someone you know can grow. But, yeah, you guys are doing amazing things for me and for us female athletes. So, yeah, thanks, guys. And thank you so thank much you. for being so uh, open and honest, uh, letting us in as well, especially for this episode, uh, given it's a – sensitive topic it's a lived experience for you but uh hopefully we've helped you get a little bit closer to destigmatizing victims of domestic violence through this conversation so we really appreciate you letting us letting us into your story so intimately yeah of course guys thank you thanks so much Bunce. and anyone who's listening please support this round as any way you can and even if you aren't at the game we're purple yeah <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay, thanks, Bunts. Thanks, guys. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.